So this is week three in uh, Game On, and we have one week left next week, and so we'll kind of wrap it up next week. In the fall of 2004, I asked Leslie Jelkin to be my girlfriend right after an event here at Brookside. In fact, right after an event that took place in this room, and this encounter went down, in fact, right outside those doors, right by that little thorny bush on the right side, it was right in front of that And uh, it didn't go well. And it didn't go well, uh, not because Leslie didn't want to be my girlfriend, but because I am not good with words, and I didn't know what to say, and so it went poorly. So it was a Sunday night, I'm pretty sure, and we we had this evangelism event here that Sunday night, and uh, it was in this room. It wasn't called the Hub at that time. It was just called the Oasis Room, and it was, I think, really an Oasis event. Leslie and I were both tribe leaders had been for um, at least a year. I mean, I had been a tribe leader for three or four years at that point. This was near the end of the summer, going into the start of my senior year in college. And um, tribe was invited to join Oasis for this evangelism, kind of a workshop kind of thing. So before the workshop, there was a meal upstairs here in the activity room. And so we're eating. I remember this so clearly. I think we're even having sloppy joes or something. And um, in the middle of this meal, I remember two students... It was Sarah Sorotkin and Matt Bauer. Um, both students were very engaged here in middle school and high school. Sarah Sorotkin and Matt Bauer were both at my table, and they started grilling me and I believe one other leader on who we liked, which is just what you do, right? In middle school, you're kind of obsessed maybe with, I don't know, you go to summer camp and you do that with your counselor. What do you just, you know, like, so, so Matt is listing off other tribe leaders that he thinks I might like. And he gets to Leslie and he just says, do you like Leslie? Now, here's the backstory. Here's something that you need to know. Leslie and I um, had been talking all throughout that summer. Leslie had at some point, I thought she was way out of my league. Leslie was from West Omaha, went to Millard West. I finished high school in Pretty Prairie, Kansas, a town of 600. I lived at Grace University on 9th Street, and quite honestly, my impression of West Omaha, anything west of, I don't know, 90th Street, was like everybody was filthy rich. I mean, I just thought, Everybody was loaded. Their families were just loaded. And I thought, this girl's way out of my league, and she would want nothing to do with me because I'm a small-town kid. And anyway, we started talking. We would come to tribe and kind of avoid each other and not make eye contact because we were both shy and introverted and didn't want to create a scene. So it was all uh, through email. And um, some of you older adults, maybe um, MSN, we would chat all the time through MSN. Um, I don't think that's like there's you text now. Um, So... So we had started talking. Nothing had been clearly communicated. We needed a DTR, as they say. I don't know if they still use that term. If you've never heard that, it's a define the relationship talk, typically because the guy doesn't want to commit or doesn't know what's going on, and the girl really likes... Anyway, we needed a DTR. So Matt asks me if I like Leslie, and I freeze in my tracks, like not knowing how to get out of this situation. I don't want to say no. What if that got back to Leslie? And I, I was in that period where I really didn't know, and I thought I liked her. We just hadn't, we hadn't defined things yet, and so I just said nothing. I said nothing. Big mistake there, too, especially with Matt Bauer. And Matt, I think, with Sarah and Toe, go and find Leslie and tell her, just what I think just told her, Brad likes you. And, um, and she knew we had been talking, but she, I think, later on, I found out, was very, very confused as to why Matt knew this. And... <laughs> I was so mad. I mean, literally, it was like he stood up, went straight to her in the kitchen here in the church, and, um, and I was like, why would you do that? Like, 
what, Matt, what is the matter with you? And so here's the thing. So we do the night. At the end of the night, I don't know if I'm trying to sneak out. As I'm leaving the hub doors, um, Leslie like kind of catches up to me or comes and grabs me and says something to the effect of like, are you telling students about us? And I was kind of like, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. Matt was just asking me questions. Um, are you telling students about us? And I know, here's why she was so confused. There really wasn't technically an us yet. And here's the thing. I, found, I mean, Leslie wanted there to be an us. And I, again, was just kind of oblivious to what was going on or that she really liked me. It was like the question loomed in the air, like, are we something? What is going on? And I, being the eloquent speaker that I am, proceeded to stammer and stutter and probably mumble or come, try to come up with something, you know, about what I thought about her. Like, I was like a scared little schoolboy. And eventually, I at least remember, like, seriously, I felt like it was chaos. And I think her friend was standing by her. And I was like, this is so embarrassing. And eventually, I remember just getting out clearly saying, I want to date you. And that was almost a shock to myself. I, did I just say that? I do want to date her. But I did say, I want to do this right, and I really wanted to not just have an obscure um, entertainment-driven, whatever you call it, recreational dating. So I said, I want to talk to your dad first. I want to call your dad. Not to like ask permission necessarily. I think that's good maybe before you get married and people still do that. I just wanted to let her dad know my intentions, and I wanted to honor her dad. Her dad is the male authority figure over her at the time. She was college age, but she was still living at home. And so I go back to my little dorm room at Grace and stammer and stutter with Mel on the phone. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I like your daughter. And so I do that and then call Leslie again and again. I'm like, so yeah, so I called your dad and I, I like you and you're really nice and whatever. You know, just how it is. And I thought like, am I in middle school? Like, what is wrong with me? I'm tw- I was 21 years old at the time, but I said, you know, we're... We're official. We were official. And yeah, I remember sitting down after that and thinking like, like, why can't I just talk? Like, why can't I just say what I want to say to a girl, at least, I mean, anybody, but especially to a girl? I knew what I felt. I just couldn't express it clearly. Have you ever been there? See, this is what I'm trying to get at. Words can be a tricky thing. And it's really hard to find right words to express emotions in particular, especially when you're in any kind of heated debate. It's really hard to express love and pain and anger and heartbreak, disappointment, hope. It's hard to put some of those emotions, those feelings into words. And here's what I'm getting at. In the same way, our faith can be a really difficult thing to talk about. Our faith in Christ can be a really difficult thing to talk about. It doesn't have to be. Maybe it shouldn't be. But a lot of times it is. You ever tried talking to somebody about your faith? It can be hard. For some of you, you're not even sure what you believe. And so you know you'd sound confusing if you tried to tell somebody about your faith because you, like, you feel confused, right? And that's okay, but you're trying to figure it out, so, so that'd be hard. Or what about this? Some of you call yourselves followers of Jesus, but you get terrified at the thought of talking to anybody, really to anybody, about anything that is even remotely controversial or off-limits. And certainly, besides politics, religious kind of talk is in that other category. And so, you're definitely, you grew up in the church, you're by all means a Christian, but man, if it comes to like talking, you're like bringing up that you even go to church, or that you're a Christian, you're just afraid to bring that up at school, because what if they like, yeah, you just don't know it front and back, you don't know all the answers. 
and it, it could get awkward. Some of you are followers of Jesus and have talked about God with your friends and family, but when you did, it sounded somewhat like my weak attempt to ask out Leslie Jelkin. And it just, you stammered and you stuttered and you didn't know exactly what to say. I remember, I mean, I remember sitting at the, the cafeteria table once in high school. I remember, maybe I've shared this before. If the conversation came up and Dustin Hawkins was looking directly at me and I was like, no, 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 I didn't ask the question. This guy over here, he asked the question. I don't, I don't want to get involved in, like, almost like, I'm just, I don't know if I could answer your, you know, what you're firing away at me. So I like pass it on to somebody else, which was honest, but... But here's the other thing. When I was a junior in high school, I got really serious about my walk with God. I really didn't get serious about my own personal walk with God until I was a junior. And I was um, at a brand new school. Like I said, that's when we moved to Kansas. And I was a new student at a new school, which was very small. And so everybody wanted to know, what's Brad Zook like? Is he a partier? Is he going to come to our parties every weekend? Is he going to hang out with this crowd or this crowd? Is he a jock? Is he going to play football? Is he going to play basketball? When you're a new kid in a small town, it's like, you know, the biggest news ever. And I was not anything to talk about. But immediately I was thrown into situations where I had to talk about my faith. My dad was a new pastor. I came to the town because my dad was a new pastor in a town of 600 people. And I was sort of freaked out. I mean, wouldn't you be? And so we think things like this. What are people going to think of me? What would people think of me when I talk about this? Am I going to say things the wrong way? Am I going to feel stupid? And so for many of us, when it comes to sharing our faith, it just scares us to death so we just don't do it. I mean, the risk is just too high. How we might get made fun of, what we might think. Many of you in here are homeschooled, so you're maybe like, I don't really have the opportunity to do that. Where would I do that at? But for a lot of us, we maybe have the opportunities. It's probably much, much easier to bring someone to Oasis, to just say, hey, come to this, this thing called Oasis at my church. But it scares us to death, and we imagine ourselves babbling on and on or making no sense or just not being able to answer somebody's question that's maybe very, very easy. I love this movie clip, and I want to show you a movie clip. For many of us, the thought of sharing our faith looks a little something like this, and uh, maybe you've seen this before. So, oh. Maybe it's something like that. So Steve Carell there obviously is so embarrassed. If you haven't seen the movie, Jim Carrey is like, has the roles of God and has the powers of God and is Bruce Almighty. Just maybe that's what we think might come out of our mouths when we think about sharing our faith or talking about God or talking about our relationship with Christ. And yet, um, here's the thing. When I became a Christian, I knew that it was absolutely crucial for me to talk about my faith with my friends. I knew that was it just made sense. It was part of the deal even. It was kind of like, I mean, one, I knew that Jesus commanded it of his followers that if you're a disciple of Christ, it's kind of the first thing he tells um, the first disciples he, he calls. He says, you know, follow me. And he says, I think it's to James and John, like, I will make you fishers of men. Come with me and I will make you fishers. It's like the very first thing he does. So I knew, it was a, I, I, knew I, I needed to do it. And it just made sense. Like I said, if you have the cure to a disease... I mean, imagine having the cure to a disease, and people really, really need this information, and you fully, absolutely, I mean, you believe to the depth of your being that they need to hear it, and you wouldn't share that with them. And so it just made sense. And so on the one hand, I was really, really nervous, and I'm actually introverted by nature. I speak for a living now, even though I can't ask my wife out. I was so shy in high school, I just couldn't do it. So I'm so, so nervous, and yet, on the other hand, 
I knew, like, I didn't want to keep my faith in Christ to myself. I wanted people to know. If people were headed to eternal destruction, I wanted them to know. I wanted them to know Christ. So think about this for a second. Let me, let me ask you, I mean, what do you, what do you think? When you, you'll be asked this in, the, in your community group tonight. What, when it comes to sharing your faith, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? What do you think about it? What do you think? Do you, um, a lot of people maybe think that people shouldn't do that. You think that? I mean, it's fine. You, you maybe believe, I think anyone can believe whatever they want to believe, but nobody should tell somebody else what they should believe. You believe that? I want you to be real about this in small groups tonight. There's no, I mean, I want you to discuss this. Some of you need to be honest about it. Um, do you think that if you do talk about f- your faith, you have to know the Bible, like, 100% fully, you need to have every answer to every question somebody might ask. Now, uh, I was going to say this too, say that maybe for some of you, this is your first time being at Oasis, and so you're mildly freaked out, or you're like, what did I get myself into? Am, am I supposed to? Sh- I don't even have faith in Christ. So don't bolt for the door. Don't freak out. I'm glad you're here. And if you don't have a relationship with God yet, I'm so glad you're here. To be honest, you really don't have to be eloquent with words to be good at sharing your faith. Yes, I think at some point there's information, there are facts, there are words. The gospel needs to be proclaimed. So at a certain point, yes, something needs to be said. But here's kind of where we're going to go tonight. We'll see tonight in the life of Daniel that our actions a lot of times say so much about what we truly believe, about who we are. And I think both need to work hand in hand, and so we'll kind of get to both. But what, we, what you may see tonight in the life of Daniel may be a total game changer for you when it comes to sharing your faith. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, if you don't, you can still stand up and grab one. Please turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel and turn to chapter 6. Daniel, if you're still not finding it easily, is to the right of Psalms and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. It's to the right of those. It's right after Ezekiel, but it's not a very big, big book, so you can skip over it. Daniel chapter 6. And in Daniel chapter 6, the Babylonians, who were the rulers when we last saw Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar was king in chapters 1, 2, and I believe 3. But by chapter 6, the Babylonians have been taken over by the Persians. And so eventually, um, King Nebuchadnezzar's son becomes king. But then by chapter 6... They're taken over by the Persians. So remember the last two weeks, Daniel stands bravely and refuses to uh, compromise his beliefs in a very hostile environment. More than once. We looked at those the last two weeks. But imagine where he's at now. He has faithfully served God. He has faithfully kind of stood up to the king that he was used to when they were pulled into exile in the Babylon. And he kind of won King Nebuchadnezzar over. I mean, you remember what we talked about last week? He kind of just stood up to the king. And so all of that stuff happens, and suddenly now the kingdom is taken over by an entirely new empire. And so here he is, back at square one. This new king knows nothing about Daniel or his God, and a new empire is in charge, and a new king is ruling. It's this guy named Darius. And so it's game on time once again for Daniel. But here's what we find. We'll start digging into this. The king of Babylon, or the king of Persia, like the king of Babylon, eventually notices Daniel too. So check this out. Um, chapter 6, starting at verse 1. 
I'm just going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. So it says, um, verse 1, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. So I don't, know what, I don't really know what a satrap is, um, but they were rulers. They were like governing rulers. And he appoints 120 of them to rule, verse 2, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So apparently Daniel still remains pretty high up in the king's court or whatever, and so this new king comes along and Daniel's still there. The satraps were made accountable to them, to these three guys, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now notice this. This is, do not miss this. Verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, we're not exactly sure what Daniel's exceptional qualities are here. I mean, it just doesn't say. But the king notices. He, he saw this. He took, he took notice of Daniel. And apparently, it wasn't so much about what Daniel said. Exceptional qualities, to me, sounds like it was a lot about what Daniel did. He talked by the way he walked. He talked by the way he walked. Daniel lived his life in such a way that people noticed. And he earned, he earned the right to be heard. But then, what happens? Well, when you have exceptional qualities like that, I don't see Daniel as being a guy that was overly proud, but the haters start hating. And the other guys start coming after him. The other ruling officials wanted to get rid of Daniel um, were, again, not really told why. Maybe they were just jealous. That's probably the number one reason. They were just jealous of how the, Daniel had favor with the king. Maybe Daniel's integrity made it hard for them to get away with the corruption that they were kind of into. Or maybe they just didn't like him because of his faith. Maybe they knew about the, his faith in God, which is where they start to go. But whatever the problem was, all these other guys, the other two administrators and all these satraps wanted to get rid of Daniel. Let's pick it up, verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue a decree and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now you're like, oh, I've heard this story before. I didn't know that was Daniel chapter 6, but yeah, lion's den. I'm not exactly sure why they had a lion's den. I suppose at this time, maybe this was their form of Capital punishment, someone was a criminal or whatever, just public execution. I don't know if people saw this or not, but they had a den of lions. It really wasn't too long after this. Eventually, uh, Rome kind of takes over, and you know, you've heard the stories about the Colosseum, and there's gladiators, and so they're throwing men and slaves into the giant Colosseum with wild animals. Maybe that kind of morphed from this. But for whatever reason, there's a lion's den. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I'm like, um, that's a little extreme, isn't it? I mean, what happened to like a night in jail, a little community service? Um, 
He's not worshiping the king, and so they're going to like, here's a bunch of the most rabid animal on, on, on the planet. Not rabid, I guess, but most fierce. Could rip your face off in like one swat of the paw. We're going to throw him into a den of lions for worshiping a king. That seems cruel. But get this, you guys. Daniel doesn't care. In fact, look at, look at verse 10. He doesn't care. He doesn't worship the king. He's kind of like, verse 10, check this out. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, I mean, I would think he might take two weeks off, you know, like go into hiding, um, not do his quiet time for at least a day. But it says when he heard about this, when it had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. It's almost like he like bolted for his upstairs prayer room. Like, okay, they can kill me. Lions. I mean, like, who cares? You know, like, would we ever do that? I think we would forget to pray that day if we knew that was going on. Dan, like, I don't, this guy is incredible. He hears about it and goes to his prayer room and prays. He keeps following God even when it was the most unpopular thing to do. Guys, think about right now, again, I know some of you are homeschooled, but think about your life at school right now. Think about how much you want to be popular. Yeah, 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 you may not want to be in the popular crowd because those people are whatever you think, you know, those people are snots and rude and stuck up, but, but don't we want that? And man, would we ever do anything like this that would make us get into trouble, that would turn us against the crowd? And notice this too, that nothing that has happened yet has involved Daniel talking. Nothing that has happened has involved Daniel talking. He hasn't had to win an argument. He hasn't had to defend his faith. He wasn't questioned like Jesus before Jesus hung on the cross. All he's done is lived a life of integrity, and he's earned the right to be heard, and he just keeps going, and he just keeps doing it. It was all about the way he lived his life. He talked He talked by the way he walked. But for the jealous officials, their plan was great. It worked flawlessly. They knew, as they said, that this was where they were going to trap him. One for the bad guys, zero for the good guys. And so this is how it ends up. Look at verse 15. So they find him. And in verse 15, it says, Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king! That according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. I skipped over some verses. The king actually really likes Daniel, and the king is pretty mad at himself that he signed this edict, and now the king's in trouble. The king tried to save him which is pretty cool. It was a dark time for Daniel, wasn't it? Like literally, I think it was really dark in there. Isn't that crazy? Verse 17 actually says, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. I never thought of that before, but I was, you know, as I'm looking at this passage, imagine this, you're in a den of lions. I always pictured light somehow being in there. Imagine if you're in a dark pit, like a cave, and there's lions, but it's pitch black. At any moment, I mean, you just can't see anything. Can you imagine that? Like, when are they going to strike me? 
When is, when is he just going to like rip my leg off? I have no idea. When am I going to be decapitated? You have, I mean, wouldn't that be absolutely terrifying? It was a dark moment. So he's like, he's literally in a dark cave. Secondly, he's in a dark culture. I mean, again, can you imagine, can you imagine, what if we lived in a culture where if we worshipped the God, the God of the Bible, it was punishable by death? I mean, do you, do you realize, like, just, again, we, take, we say quite often how blessed we are to live in America. In, in places in China, you will be arrested for having a Bible study, for meeting as a church. You will be arrested. People are tortured still today. I haven't looked at all the stats. I've heard that there's more martyrs for Christianity today than there ever has been before. People are killed for their faith all across the world. We don't know what could happen. We don't know what could happen in America. Someday that could be the, that could be the case here. Like we have to go into hiding to worship our God. I can't imagine a culture like that. Third, it was a dark time for Daniel personally. And that one's obvious. His life was in danger. He didn't really know if God would rescue him or not. He probably thought, my God is able to rescue me, and I hope he does, and I'm praying my heart out. But if he doesn't, I'm placing my, my life in his hands. And hopefully I'll go to be with the Lord if I die. But here's the truth, you guys. Sometimes it's in the darkest times when our faith shines the brightest. And when, when we're walking through the darkest times ever, we can't even see that because we can't even see clearly. But sometimes that's absolutely true. When you think back right now in your life at one of the hardest times in your life, and I realize some of you are like, I don't know, I'm a freshman. My life's been pretty easy. But I don't know what that is. Think about some of the hardest times in your life. When you look back on them, you realize that your faith grew more then than it ever has when, when times are good. Sometimes faith is catapulted by things not going our way, by the worst times. It's when our faith grows. Let's finish this up. We don't really know how the night went for him because the Bible just doesn't say, but look at verse 19. So all we know is Verse 19, at the first light of dawn. So at the first light of dawn, the king got up. He hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel says this, verse 21, Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done anything wrong before you, O king. Suddenly, Daniel talked. And I'm sure he talked before, but what I was bringing up is just before, he was thrown into this whole situation because of his lifestyle. Because he talked by the way he walked. But suddenly Daniel talks, and he talks about how his God came to rescue him. That my God, he says, sent an angel who shut the mouths of the lions. And I even love, he could have been furious at the king. Like, what is the matter with you? You're the king. You could have overruled this. I could have died in there. He still addresses the king like he would properly address the king or the president of the United States. He says, oh, king, live forever. He's still respectful. You guys, when you open your mouth and you ever share your faith, do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Don't do it at school to try to get into an argument. There may be all kinds of chances for you to do that, and maybe that's a time for you to jump in. 
That time in the cafeteria with Dustin Hawkins, I, Dustin was an atheist. I didn't want to get involved in it because I knew it may just turn into an argument. I wouldn't win him over. Two weeks ago, Dustin Hawkins friends me on Facebook. I haven't talked to him since high school. He was the goth. He loved Marilyn Manson. He loved Slipknot. And he would, he would make fun of me. He friended me on Facebook. I, I have no idea why. I have no idea why he would do such a thing. But Daniel starts to talk, and everything, we just find, everything wasn't riding on his words alone because his lifestyle backed it up. His deeds backed it up. People saw how he lived, and as a result, they listened when he talked. You are absolutely saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So don't think, I'm not saying, but our faith and our deeds go together. Our faith and our deeds go together. When you're, when you're saved by faith, your faith always produces actions. Your faith always produces fruit. And if it doesn't, maybe it's not true saving faith. And that's kind of getting into a different topic. But real quick, here's three things for an application. This story is dramatic, I realize. It has a happy ending. It's a true story. Don't think it's made up. At some point, Daniel did die. Um, I mean, the king goes on to worship the God of the Bible, Daniel's God. So I know it works out well, but the application for us is still very true and very simple. So number one, earn the right to be heard. Maybe write these down or at least write one of them down. Earn the right to be heard. And instead of focus on being better than people, I don't want you to, to read that as saying, I need to focus on being better than people. Focus on doing things in such a way that it just brings honor to God. If you want to earn the right to be heard, I know that means like, act like you got your act together. Um, but being humble is a theme all throughout the scripture, okay? So I don't want you to be a proud, arrogant, like loudmouth Christian. You can earn the right to be heard by being respectful and by being humble. Number two, um, keep going. Keep going, mean, there, mean, meaning there's going to be times when maybe you want to give up or you want to ditch this whole faith thing. There may be times when, um, when you realize that following Jesus or obeying Jesus is the most unpopular thing you could possibly do, which is why many, many, many of you, and I'm so guilty of this myself where I was in high school, live two totally different lives, and you are great, and you clean up your act, and you're awesome when you come to Oasis, but when you go to school, you're a totally different person. Live with integrity. Live a life that is integrated. That's what integrity means. Be the same person at church and at school and in sports and where everything you do. But keep going. Because again, it may get dark for a season and it may get lonely for a season, but don't give up. Keep going. And number three, when the time is right, use words. When the time is right, use words. Because at a certain point with a certain friend, it is necessary to use words, as I said earlier. It is necessary to talk about different information. They need to know facts about Christianity, how Jesus makes Christianity utterly and completely different than every other religion. Because he was the son of God. Because he's not dead. and Because there isn't a, I mean, he was dead for three days, but he came back to life. No other religion is like that. So don't miss the fact that Jesus is the cure to the sickness the world is dying from. Jesus is the cure to the sickness the world is dying from. So the bottom line is this. If you haven't heard this clearly, 
You talk by the way you walk, okay? You talk by the way you walk. And I don't know that that'll stick with you and it kind of rhymes, but you talk by the way you walk. You need to remember that. It's not just about you knowing more about the Bible. It's about you living it. And here's the final thing. With Daniel, Daniel says to the king, my God sent an angel to rescue me. You guys, God has done something to rescue you. And I don't want you to get trapped into thinking or beating yourself up with guilt because you don't do this enough, but God has done something to rescue you. And I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life and you just forget that, or if you're brand new or you don't know Jesus and you don't have any faith in God whatsoever and someone just brought you here, God has done something to rescue you. And you need to know that. God didn't send an angel. God sent Jesus. God sent his son, who didn't silence the mouth of a lion, but silenced the mouth of Satan, silenced our accuser, that now Satan has nothing on us if we're Christians. Because Jesus paid our penalty for us. He paid for our sin. He paid for our death. He paid for every sin, past, present, and future, if you come to him and if you trust in him. That, that is, though, only if you come and accept his gift. So wherever you're at, remind yourself of that tonight. God has done something to rescue you. Let's pray. God, we so just need... Um, God, we need a Savior. We don't need to just get our homework done or get our chemistry done. We don't just need to get through this thing or we don't just need so-and-so to start talking. God, life is complicated. God, we need a Savior. Sin is messy. And God, I pray that if there's people in this room tonight, God, who have never really run to you and said, God, I want to have a relationship with you. God, there's junk in my life and I'm tired of it and I need a Savior. God, I pray that they would run to you tonight. They would just pray a simple prayer. They would say, God, come into my life. God, I need you. But God, for most of us, we're, we're church people. We come here every week. God, remind us that we talk by the way we walk. God, remind us to live with integrity at school. God, may our language, may our words, may everything we do line up with who we say we are. And God, make us that kind of person. We pray. We pray that you would do that in our hearts tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.